morning, church. Today's reading is taken from Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 to 17, and you can find that on page 928 of the church Bibles. That's Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 to 17, on page 928. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Jonah's Prayer Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lewis. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Let me add my own welcome to that which uh, Neil has already given. My name is Adam. I'm the vicar here at St. Jude's. You might want to have the passage open in front of you this morning. Uh, You might not. You don't have to. It's not a legal requirement, but if you've got a Bible near you, uh, you might find it helpful. It was on page 920. Eight, Jonah, as we've said before, is one of those books that likes to hide uh, in the Old Testament. So nine, two, eight. Uh, before we get to that, I'm going to pray for us. Let's do that. Pop this over here. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your word. We thank you for the ways that it speaks to us in different seasons of life. We thank you for this story of Jonah. We thank you for the things it has already taught us, for those of us who've been here for a few weeks. And we thank you for the depth of of your word here. 
Lord, as we come before it again this morning, we pray that you would dwell deeply in it, that you would speak to us through it, that you would come alive in it, that we would see you afresh through it. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and dwell. Help us to know that you are here, we pray. If you are new this week or you're visiting, you're very welcome uh, with us. Uh, You won't therefore know that we have been walking, it has to be said fairly slowly, uh, through uh, the book of Jonah for the last uh, five weeks or so. And we've now reached the end of the first uh, chapter. Uh, We're also about halfway through our look at this book of Jonah that we're doing uh, this term. Uh, And we're going to have a pause for a couple of weeks. Next week, as Neil has said, uh, we have an all-in service. We'll be thinking a bit more about love, but not necessarily from the book of Jonah next week. The week after, we're having a pause for Safeguarding Sunday. We're going to be thinking a bit about how we keep everyone safe uh, together. Uh, And then we'll be back in Jonah again in a couple of weeks' time. If you've been with us since the start, or if you've been here at least once uh, before, I hope by now you've realized just how much there is to unpack in this short book. And this morning, there's a little bit of a subplot going on that I'd like us to explore in this uh, chapter before we move on from it. And that's the interaction between Jonah, the sailors, and indeed God. We're going to think about how the the sailors react firstly to God. We're going to think a little bit about how the sailors react to Jonah. And we're also going to think about how Jonah reacts to the situation, uh, both to God and to the sailors. And as Neil has already said, we're thinking today a little bit about the patterns of love. And so as we look at those three relationships particularly, we're going to be looking at the different streams or glimmers or glimpses of love that we see. So let's start then uh, with this relationship that we see between the sailors and their response to God. And if you do have it open in front of you, verse 5 says this, All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. The sailors here are, as you might expect, afraid, scared of this massive storm that has surrounded them. And there isn't really any question uh, about whether or not these uh, sailors were followers of Yahweh. They weren't, as far as we are uh, aware. They weren't followers of Yahweh. Uh, and as Joss explained last week, uh, they probably would have followed a number of other uh, gods uh, or, or different beliefs or perhaps have had no faith whatsoever. And so it, them crying out to God in the midst of this storm is something of a bit of a rabbit in headlights uh, response to a difficult uh, situation. It is a fear-filled response to find faith, to find God. I read uh, this week about a hospital chaplain who had a call from a man in distress about three o'clock in the morning needing to go and meet with him. And so he dutifully got up, got dressed, went to the hospital and found the man. And by the time he arrived, uh, the man said to him, Oh, I'm so sorry. I was actually told I had cancer, but the doctor got the wrong x-ray, and actually I'm fine. So I don't need uh, your God anymore. You can go home again. Thanks so much. Now, before we dismiss that slightly uh, humorous story, 
I wonder, even for those of us who follow God for a long time, for all of our lives perhaps, whether any of us carry something of that view of God into our relationship with him. When the storms come, do we know the God of love which we purport to share or do we respond like the man in the hospital or or like the men on the ship? Tim Keller says there's usually two ways to responding to a crisis, uh, either with a prayer of terror or a prayer of faith. The prayer of terror says to God, I want to use you to make this situation better. The prayer of faith says to God, I want you to use me, whatever that means, your kingdom come, your will be done. Note that their first uh, thing they do is they have this prayer of terror. The next thing they do is they go into fix-it mode. They start throwing stuff over uh, board. Even in response, when Jonah tells them what to do, to throw him into the sea, and we'll look at that in a moment, they don't do what he suggests. Verse 13, instead, it says, the men did their, their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. If you were here, I spoke a couple of weeks ago about my own needs to fix things, to control things sometimes in the storms of life. And it's not my intention to repeat that today. If you want to, you can listen to it again. But I know that I chime with these sailors in this time. Sometimes in difficult times, a prayer of terror is usually followed, in my case, by action and an attempt in some way to solve the situation. Anyone else here do that, I wonder? I'm sure I'm not alone. I said a moment ago that we're looking at the strands of love that we see across these relationships. And the first one is that of God's love. 1 John 4, which I'm sure many of you will know, says God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God lives in them. And then a verse later it says, there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out all fear. How we respond to the storms in life when they come towards us might just speak into the ways in which we are seeing God. We sung a few moments ago about the good, good Father. But I wonder how much of the knowledge of God's goodness has made it from our heads, we can speak about it, into our hearts where we know it. Do we need to move further away from that image of the distant God who sits on a judgy high throne only to be approached at the worst times of life? And more, as Jesus says, to see him as our friend. Yes, God is king. Yes, he is Lord. Yes, he is majestic in holiness and righteousness. Yes, but Jesus also says he is our friend. He longs for us to know his love for us as that friend. Let's look for a moment about how the sailors respond to Jonah. And I've found this particularly fascinating this week, halfway through verse 5 and verse 6. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Here, the captain, the heathen captain, as, uh, as Neil looked at a couple of weeks ago, rebukes Jonah for not using his faith for the public good. How can you sleep, he says to Jonah. 
I'm not sure how true this is, but I was told when I went through the ordination process that some years ago, in English villages up and down uh, this country, every day, as people worked in the fields, the priest of the village would wander into the church and ring the bell of the church as he began praying for the community. And as they in, in the fields were working, they would stop, often take off their hats, look at the bell, and know that the priest was praying for them. Now, to be clear, whilst I don't think Neil uh, or, or I certainly come to church and ring the bell at seven o'clock in the morning or whatever it is, those of us who are ordained do still pray for our community, our city, our nation. But I wonder if there's any truth in that story, firstly, and if we fooled ourselves into believing that society no longer needs us to pray for it. How do we view our faith? Jonah is asleep, as Neil said, grumpy at the bottom of the boat. And yet the captain needed him to pray. He petitioned him to do so. The media this week has been pretty full of uh, people calling for the church and state uh, to be separated. Uh, And whatever you think about that, it's not the first time it's come up, and I doubt it will be the last unless it happens uh, regardless. But prayer is central to the life of the country that we live in. It will be the Archbishop of Canterbury who conducts the coronation of our king in a few months' time. A very tangible sign of the church praying for our nation, for its leader. How do we feel about that? Have we become insular in our faith, I wonder? And by that, I don't mean selfish. I mean blinkered, perhaps. Is our society shouting to us, wake up and pray to your God? And as the church sleeps, families are breaking apart, wars are raging, people are struggling to eat or to heat their homes. There have been storms in this country before, and there will be storms again. But I wonder if the country is rightly asking us now, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. This is the power of intercessory prayer, often called L-shaped prayer. We're called to be L-shaped people, taking God to the people and people, sorry, taking God to the people and the people to God, delivering the message of God's love and hope to the people in this world, and taking the needs of the people to God in intercession. Forgive me if I've shared this with you before. I don't think I have. Some of you may have read uh, this book by Pete Gregg. Uh, it's, uh, it's a good book. You can borrow this one if you'd like to. Pete Gregg started the 24-7 uh, prayer movement, and it was founded on the understanding that the world needs us to pray for it. We need to be involved in prayer. And this book is full of stories. One of my favorite is, is about the 24-7 prayer movement in America during the Super Bowl. Uh, There, there was a lady uh, called Debs who decided to set up and run the 24-7 prayer movement in her state. And about a month or so in, one of her team phoned her and said, I've had a dream. And it wasn't a good dream. She'd had a terrible dream that the Super Bowl, which was due to take place a few days later, um, she'd seen the entire stadium filled with blood. Now, Debs took some time to pray about it and agreed that it was from God. And so she dispatched a small team of people to go and pray for the Super Bowl on, uh, on that day. Now, they couldn't get into the game. Obviously, they didn't have tickets. So they sat in the car park, in the space, and prayed uh, for the game, interceded for those who were going. 
Debs watched the game uh, from home and uh, it went by without relief. And obviously she breathed a sigh, uh, sorry, it went by without incident and obviously she breathed a huge sigh of relief. But she also felt a little bit foolish for perhaps needlessly sending some people to the Super Bowl to go and pray. As she continued to watch and as the post-match uh, commentary filled in, a news report came in. A 35-year-old man had been arrested in the car park with enough ammunition to kill a few hundred people, if not more. He'd parked his car in the same parking space that a little earlier the team had felt led to pray for that event earlier that day. But when he got out of the car, he broke down in tears and experienced what he described later as a complete change of heart without explanation or understanding. Somehow, Sebs' sense of sensitivity to the spirit and the intercession of that little prayer team has helped disarm a potential killer, almost certainly saving many lives. You might be thinking, well, that's just a coincidence. Well, William Temple, previous Archbishop of Canterbury, said, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, uh, they don't. And in terms of these streams or these strands of love, this is how we show our love to the world, by bringing the needs, the requests, the prayers of our world to our God, interceding on their behalf, not by being asleep, grumpy, as Neil said, in the bottom of the boat, but being awake and bringing them to God. Let's just take a couple of minutes uh, before we finish to think about the way that Jonah responds both to God and indeed to uh, this situation. Verse 12, Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon me. Now, the text doesn't tell us why Jonah has this uh, desire, this decision, makes this decision, why he's decided to do this. He doesn't tell us what's going on uh, behind the scenes for Jonah. Has he suddenly decided he loves these people and really wants to die uh, for them? Uh, If that's the case, then it's fairly short-lived because, as we'll see, by the time he gets to Nineveh, his love for them has uh, all but disappeared again. Maybe he would just rather die than go to Nineveh, and this seems like the best option uh, all round. Well, maybe that's the case. If that was the case, why didn't he just uh, throw himself in the sea in the first place rather than try and run? Whatever the motivation is here, Jonah's clearly understood the need for him to die for the rest to live. And there will be parts of our own callings as followers of Christ that will be sacrificial. We may not be called to die for our faith but we will be called to sacrifice things. If you were here uh, last week, uh, when Joss spoke, most of you will have heard uh, that Joss didn't really want to live in Portsmouth. He'd much rather live in Devon, uh, perhaps even going back to his, uh, his homelands. Uh, perhaps, Joss, this is part of the sacrifice that you have uh, in order for the Lord to carry out uh, your calling. You have to live in Southsea. Uh, if that's the case, then you've got away pretty lightly, it has to be said, because I think Southsea is a lot nicer than the belly of a fish. Not that I've been in the belly of a fish, but, uh, but I imagine it is. I do wonder, though, I do wonder if we've lost something of the sacrificial, sacrificial nature of our relationship with God. Do we expect our relationship with God to simply be on our own terms? 
Because all relationships, in one way or another, are sacrificial. Uh, Jess and I have got three children uh, under six. Uh, most of the time, I feel like we've sacrificed our sanity, uh, in complete honesty, at this stage of life, as I shout at them for the 15,000th time to do something the right way or to stop doing uh, something. It feels like a sacrifice. Bringing up children feels like a sacrifice at times. Our friends... Our relatives can sometimes be a sacrifice when we, they need us to help them, when they need us to carry them, when they need us to do things for them. And yet we do all of those things, mostly without complaint, without concern. Why? Because we love those people, don't we? We care for them. Part of the issue with the view of God that we started off with as the distant, high judgy God that is not our friend, is that we become a consumer of him. If God responds as we expect, then we're perfectly happy to carry on doing the things that he wants us to do. But if he doesn't, then we actually get a bit cross about it. We might well think we might not do what he wants us to do. And that might seem quite a simplistic view, and and it is purposely, but these attitudes can run relatively deep within us. Other things that we are unwilling to sacrifice for God our time, our money, our understanding of our values, the way we worship, the way things have always been, perhaps. I don't think I've told you this before, so forgive me if if I have. I've checked with a few people. But in early uh, November... Uh, I had a really rubbish, rubbish couple of uh, weeks, uh, and things were going wrong in pretty much every area of uh, my life. I was having a really pants time, I have to be honest. Uh, And the Lord was asking me to sacrifice quite a lot in quite a lot of different areas uh, of my life. Now, I'm not really someone that often is taken to crying. There's nothing wrong with crying. It's just not something that happens a lot. But on this particular day in November, um, I cried. I cried and I sobbed. I cried out to God and I said, Lord, I cannot do this. This is too much. I cannot do it. Now, sometimes I hear God speak really clearly, and I know it's him. Sometimes I go, I wonder if that is God. On this occasion, I heard him speak, and I knew instantly that it was God. He said, Adam, I never promised you it would be easy. I just promised you that I'd be with you. I never promised you it would be easy. I just promised you I would be with you. I'd lost something of the sacrificial nature of the love that God calls us to in that moment. And he calls all of us to it. Now, he was and is with me. And all of those situations have improved. I'm not there now. Um, But the God who calls us to love calls us to do so sacrificially. Jonah's sacrifice mirrors very badly, I would say, the one who sacrificed everything for us. 1 John 4 goes on to say, we love because he first loved us. I don't think it's pushing scripture too far to say we sacrifice for him because he first sacrificed for us. In a moment or two, we're going to sing uh, one of my favorite hymns when I survey the wondrous cross, the final verse uh, of which says this, were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, divans my soul, my life, my all. Perhaps today we need to consider again the sacrifice of God's love for us and the sacrifice he calls us to make as we respond. 
I wonder if you would stand with me, perhaps as the band come back ready to sing. Perhaps we'll leave this on the screen just for a couple of minutes till we sing. Thank you. Lord, we praise you for the depth of your word in this, uh, in this book. We thank you for the so many things that there are within it. Lord, for one or two of us this morning, perhaps, we need to be reminded that you are a God who calls us friends, that you call us to know you, to know your love, to respond to you, not out of fear, but out of love. Maybe for one or two of us, we need a reminder that the world needs your church, that our faith is not an insular one, to bring your people to you, to join you in praying your kingdom come, your will be done. Maybe today we need a reminder. A reminder of the sacrifice that you paid for us on that cross. And a reminder that at times the call to faith is one which is sacrificial. 